close your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Guys. Welcome to the Ghost Story Guys. I'm Brennan Store. I'm Paul Bestel. And this is the show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 143, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about, but can never quite reach. Paul, my friend, it has been a while. How are you? I'm okay. It seems far longer than it did. I was, I was getting really confused at one point because I thought, hang on, which episode are we and where we are? I completely lost my mind. <laughs> yep. I have a reminder in my phone every two weeks, record with Paul at noon on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and I was down in Los Angeles and, I, and the phone buzzed and I had a moment of panic because I thought, shit, I'm not anywhere near the computer. Hello? No, no, no. Hello? Yeah, exactly, right? Why aren't you there? I've abandoned you. <laughs> the ghost yeah, story guy. That's <laughs> so up. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not touching that. <laughs> oh, yeah, shit. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on like a migrating Bigfoot. Yes, yes. But uh, yeah, so it has been a month. Since we have sat down to record, you and I recorded episode 142, basically yeah, a month ago today, and you've been well since we've last spoken? Yes. Nothing too major has happened. I've survived two heat waves, a police standoff, and a uh, low-flying drone. Well, that's pretty sweet. Mm, it was cool. Now, I, I have been away. I was away in Los Angeles for two weeks on vacation, uh, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but before we get there, I want to say, listeners, in the month I've been away from recording, Apparently, seagulls have moved in next door and they've been having a month-long fuck party. So uh, I've tried to record several things. And if you hit, listen to the most episode, pardon me, the most recent episode of Book of the Dead, if you listen very closely, sometimes behind me, you can hear, Arr! and that's because there is this enormous seagull orgy happening somewhere near my apartment. But today we have an additional treat, Paul. Mm. Today I woke up to a text from my lovely wife who said, go look at the note on the counter. And of course, I thought, oh, she's leaving me. Um, <laughs> well, we all saw this coming at some point. But no, it was from our upstairs neighbors uh, letting us know they are having a home birth today. And they said, if you hear any noises, we apologize in advance. Everything is okay. We have our birthing team. So, listeners, we could at some point have what might be a podcasting first, certainly a ghost show first of a live birth on air. So if you hear a woman screaming, uh, it's not my basement. I don't have one. <laughs> I have. Well, let's not dwell on that. <laughs> She's in Qatar, Paul. We talked about this. <laughs> yeah, they, they all go abroad. But uh, yeah, if you hear any screaming, it is my upstairs neighbors. And I assume it can't be that bad. Like I, I sort of imagine <laughs> when a child's born, you hear maybe some trumpets. I like to think there's a voice, you know, like in Rocket League, you know, baby has entered the arena. And then they, they that like ting sound, like in Home Alone, when you see Joe Pesci's gold tooth, I assume that's the worst it could be. So it shouldn't be so bad. But mm -hmm. if you do hear anything more, it is my upstairs neighbors, and uh, it is the miracle of childbirth, and hopefully this puts a few of you off it. Absolutely. We had a story here in the UK last week about a, a gang of seagulls that attacked a robber and scared him away. Really? Mm. All right. Well, I got to say, man, you don't, don't fuck with seabirds. Mm. They are the street fighting men. And women of the of the avian world because I remember being down on the pier in San Francisco once when I was young and dumb. You know, I was in my early twenties and there was a seagull, and so I threw him one of my fries. 
And that was a mistake because they descended on me like the mafia. <laughs> so on this episode, we have a, a bunch of great listener stories lined up, including several ghost line calls, uh, which I'm really excited to share. We've been hanging on to these for a while. And we also have some really lovely email, some really lovely messages that I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing. Before we do that, though, I, I want to share a little, uh, a little story from my, my trip to Los Angeles. Now, we were down there for two weeks, my wife and I, uh, with her brother and her mother and the brother's two kids. Now, I'd met uh, the daughter who's now 12. I'd met her when she was maybe three. So, of course, she had, she had no memory of me. And I, I never met the boy who was eight. So, we had a great time, and I'm, I'm going to spare you guys most of the details. But there was a point where they went and spent two days and two nights in Disneyland. All of them. And I would rather die than spend two days and two nights in an amusement park. You know, I, as I was, I was saying to Paul, I dropped them off at Six Flags one day and I just was in the parking lot looking up at one of the roller coasters, just rising up past the cloud cover. And I just squeaked in horror. So that, you know, I'm not, I'm not built for such things. So I, I dropped them off at Anaheim and I had the Airbnb to myself for, for two and a half days, basically. So the first night I went to go see an anniversary screening of Fast Times at Ridgemont High at the, uh, at the Sherman Oaks Galleria which was wonderful, had a lot of fun. And then afterwards, it was about 10 o'clock at night, and I thought, what am I going to do now? Because really, that's when the night starts for me, especially when I'm in the city. And I had read about a massive jewel heist that had taken place on July 11th, about an hour north of Los Angeles. It had happened at a truck stop in the town of Lebec, California, or Lebec, I don't know how it's pronounced. And I thought, man, I got nothing else to do right now. How cool would it be to say I drove to the, the truck stop where this jewel heist happened? Because, you know, that's what counts for tourism in my head. <laughs> so I, I hop in the Chrysler minivan that we rented for this trip because we had to ferry a whole shitload of people around and started heading north. Now, I had a bad feeling. I had a bad feeling in my stomach, but I thought, you know, it's probably the fact that like, I haven't been in a city since the pandemic. I haven't driven in LA in four years. You know, so I'm sure it's just, you know, just usual insecurities and stuff like that. I'm sure it'll be fine. Well, I got about 25 minutes north, far enough out of the city that there was no light around me. I can't remember which, which highway I was on, but it was just this empty stretch of, of blacktop, no lights on either side or very few lights. And all of a sudden in my rear view mirror, I see a white sedan, a little bit dinged up and it starts strobing its high beams at me. Like, like just on and off very, very quickly. And I, was, I thought, what is he doing? There's no one else on this road. It seems like he's signaling to me, but I don't know what they want. And I thought maybe it's a speed trap, you know, but I wasn't going that fast. Well, then they pulled up right behind me and they went back to strobing their high beams. Now, at this point, I got this cold feeling in my belly and I thought, this is it. This was, this was the bad feeling. You idiot. This is why you weren't supposed to be here. And then these guys pulled into my blind spot and they just hung there. Now, I thought to myself, well, I've got a full tank of gas, so I would sooner drive to Sacramento than pull over to the side of the road. So if you motherfuckers want me out of this van, you're going to have to work for it. And finally, I don't know, I, someone point, suggested this to me, and I think they might have had a point, that given that it was 11 o'clock at night, 11.30 at night, something like that, it was a minivan by itself on the highway. It's very possible maybe these guys thought there was like a woman traveling alone, but I, my, they, this person suggested that perhaps when they pulled into my blind spot and got a good look at who was driving, it's, you know, some 300 pound motherfucker 
<laughs> and not some, you know, some lady off on her own. And after a while, when I showed no signs of slowing down or pulling over, they just seemed to give up and gunned it, just gunned their engine, blew out of my blind spot and disappeared up, up the highway ahead of me. And it was like this weight lifted off me. Mm. And my next thought was, we are going back to the city right goddamn now. <laughs> so I took the next exit, which I had seen them miss. So I knew they weren't waiting for me. Took the next exit, went across the highway, went right back. And holy shit, did I drive fast getting the hell away from there. And maybe it was nothing, but it, it didn't feel like nothing. It felt menacing. And I was telling Steve from Hexagram about it. And he goes, you, you almost got urban legended is what happened. <laughs> And I think that's a great way to put it. I almost got urban legended. <laughs> so d I managed to dodge that. And that was really the only surprise LA had for me. Although the first day we got to the Airbnb out of nowhere, the Alexa started talking about Bigfoot. And I, I assumed you were hiding behind the couch somewhere. You just, you know, you'd hidden in their luggage. Brilliant. All right. So as we said, we have a bunch of great listener stories, but before we get there, boy, do we have to thank our patrons. This one's for the patrons. Patrons, you are the DMX to our indiscriminate barking <laughs> because without you, we wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. So of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons. And on this episode, we're going to be thanking all the patrons who have joined basically since episode 140. So get comfortable and away we go. We'd like to thank Chloe Mears, Shauna Feeney, Erica Mosley, Alexandra Guptel, Corbin Wong, Larius Rex, Andrew Atkinson, Penny Boyce, Cheryl Lambright, Carrie Lambertus, Claire Palmer, Kevin McKenna, Tracy, Nicole Regal, Penny Sized Dreadfuls, Jeff Abbott, Shannon Barrea, Kimberly, Robin Tien, Whitney Asbury, Angela, Laura Chamont, Cresta Lee Mayer, Andrea Sulfur, and Kate. Guys, thank you so, so, so much for being patrons. I cannot tell you how much it means to us. You allow the show to exist. I mean, everyone who listens to the ghost story, guys, you are part of what makes us who we are. But patrons, you are the people who allow the show to continue. And for that, we are eternally grateful. So thank you from the bottom of our terrible, terrible hearts. Now, if you want to join the team, head to patreon.com slash ghost story guys. We'll tell you at the end of the show, but all the cool shit you get, but we will say for a dollar a month, you get an ad free feed. And who doesn't want that? Ads suck. And frankly, folks, if you could spare a dollar a month, I would say if half the people who listened to this show, or even a third of the people who listened to the show, uh, gave it the dollar a month level, that would be a, a life changing amount of money. And we would deeply, deeply appreciate it. So if you can, we would certainly appreciate your support. Again, a dollar a month gets you an ad free feed at patreon.com slash ghost story guys. And finally, just before the break, shout out to our composer, Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of Los Angeles-based film writer and composer Jerry Smith. And if you want to commission Jerry to make music for your projects, shoot him a message at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. All right, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back.
Welcome back. As we said before the break, this episode is all listener stories, and there's some really, really great shit here. I am really excited to share this with you guys. But I'm actually just as excited this time around for the email because we got a really, well, we always get great messages. You guys send us so much cool stuff. We love hearing from you. Um, and But we have, uh, there, there's a message on this episode that really touched, I think, both of us. And so we're, we're excited to, to, for all the messages we're about to play, but especially for that one, um, for reasons that we'll, we'll explain here momentarily. Uh, but I think first we're going to read this message from Kath. Oh, hang on. I forgot the mail sting. It's time to check the mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. There we go. Christ. Woo. Tell you, Paul, I thought I had it there after the AU segment, and then I, I just lost it. So, <laughs> oh, I remember how to do this. No, no, apparently not. <laughs> it's like riding a bike. I was never very good at that either, come to think of it. Mm. Yeah, I'll leave that right where it is. <laughs> All right. So, this one comes from Kath. Kath says, Hey, guys, I just listened to the most recent episode and heard Paul talk about some spooky missing cutlery at his house. The same thing <laughs> happened to me. I live in Melbourne, Australia with my partner. We went away for a weekend in March last year between the many lockdowns we had. When we left, all the forks were accounted for. When we returned, they were all missing. Nobody else had keys or could have accessed our apartment that we know of. We've since moved out of that apartment and the missing forks never turned up. Ghosts having dinner parties, maybe a new phenomenon, who knows? And yeah, that's very possible, Kath. That, that would unnerve the shit out of me. <laughs> that would unnerve the hell out of me. I remember years ago when I, when I still had my house back in Revelstoke and I was living there. The only way to get in the house when it wasn't locked was there was a door in the basement that if you didn't, like if you pushed on it, I couldn't get it to lock, but it was, it was down this terrifying flight of stairs. It was full of, full of spider webs. I never went down that way, but if you knew about it and you knew if you went down through the spider webs and you pushed hard enough on the door, it wasn't the crypt keeper on the other side. It was, you were then in my house. And I, I remember going out of town on a trip. I came back and there was $40 less. The only thing that was taken so I had a jar in my bedroom closet. There was $40 missing. And to this day, I do not know what the fuck happened. I mean, I assume someone just knew about the door, went in, but how the hell they didn't take any computer equipment, any of the audiovisual equipment, any of the other cash laying around. They just went into my bedroom closet, somehow knew about my change jar and pulled out two twenties. <laughs> so I, either there's some really, cause you know how every friend group has that kind of shitty thieving friend who eventually everyone kind of gets sick of and they kick him out. Maybe the ghosts are the same. Maybe there's like shitty thieving ghosts and they just can't help it. Mm. Uh, maybe that's what you got there, Kath. I don't know. Kleptogeist. <laughs> oh, Kleptogeist is my new band name. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, we've, we've moved on from cutlery here. We had a, a, a rather amusing incident the other night where I was in the front room and I just got a message on my phone from my partner that said, help me. Help me. Yikes. Like, well, what? <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit early for dealing with uh, a succubus, but uh, <laughs> there you are. So I, uh, I ventured into the bedroom and uh, Julie's got one of those makeup lights, you know, with the bulbs on. Yep. That go around a mirror. So uh, as though uh, she's backstage at some theater or some, some other performance-based venue. And... Um, it had turned itself on and it's a, it's a flick switch. So you have to press it to turn it on. And she was just laid in bed and it just came on. <laughs> oh man. So did it click first or it just came on? She just noticed the light come on. Holy shit. I liked it better when it was just the silverware going missing. 
<laughs> yeah, we have had some teaspoons turn up. Oh wow! Is, are, are your teaspoons or just teaspoons? no? Just teaspoons. So we've we've lost some knives and gained some teaspoons. This is a ghost that does not understand the barter system. Yeah, and clearly doesn't like buttering bread either. Then <laughs> I I once had a friend who had a problem with stealing, and one time I remember we, he was hanging at my house. We were quite young, you know, sort of early teens. And this group of older guys pulled, literally pulled up on the curb and a bunch of them piled out and started coming for him. And I found out later it was because he had stolen, because they were a bunch of D&D nerds, he had stolen nine of their 20 dice. <laughs> and I said, why would you do that? And he said, well, I didn't think they'd notice. You took- <laughs> They got so many of them. Yeah. You took what, 40% of their stuff and you didn't think they'd notice? <laughs> Jesus. So maybe that person's dead and they're in your apartment. Mm, maybe. All right. Well, Kath, keep us updated. Hopefully, uh, hopefully no more of your silverware goes missing because that shit costs money. <laughs> Next up, we have a message from Sunday, and this is, this is an audio message. Hi, guys. My name's Sunday. It's nice to be speaking. I just wanted to talk about a thing from episode 22 of this season, and... It was your point about how people are reporting things from creepy possibilities, Slender Man and the Wraith. Now, I'm not claiming that I've actually legitimately seen these things. However, I am wondering if there is a thing that makes these kids see it. Because I have had what I thought was the experience with the Slender Man, where during the height of that, and in my childhood, I were... I would go play in the woods, and as I was looking around, I thought I would see this faceless man following me around. I do live in a place with actual hauntings, but I have seen things that look very similar to these fictional characters. So I'm wondering if it's not that people are seeing Slender Man in the race, but they are seeing creatures who look like them and are seeing this as an opportunity to perhaps feed off of energy. Just some food for thought that I think you guys might have found interesting. Love the show. Can't wait to hear more in the future. Have a great day. So Sunday, thank you. And, and you know, I think, I think, you know, there's a possibility there, right? Cause I mean, one, we know so little about any of these things. Um, but you know, Paul and I, you and I've talked in past about how we call, we call it the, the new nightmare effect, like in that one mm-hmm. Freddy Krueger movie where, you know, they're seeing Freddy because he has, he's taken, it's, it's a useful form for a much older creature that has no physical form. And it's possible. Sure. I mean, you know, it's possible that what you're seeing is something else entirely that we are seeing as that thing, because it's the most convenient form you know or it's it's like it's what's in your mind you know it's kind of like like the stay puff marshmallow man it's building itself from images in your mind what do you think <laughs> well it, it could be something like that it could also be something like a tulpa because obviously it's ingrained in popular culture now so more people know about it think about it read about it write about it so there is that train of thought that enough people imagining or believing in something can wink it into existence, as it were. I don't know if I'm much of a believer in the Tulpa thing, you know, and, and, and here's why. 
because I feel like if tulpas were real, I feel like we would be up to our elbows in sparkly vampires and multiple Jesuses or Jesi or whatever you want to call them. I feel like if 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 fervent belief could conjure something that simply, I feel like there would be a lot of a lot more pop culture figures kind of running around getting up to trouble. Well, I suppose it's one of those things. I think it's one of those aspects of of the paranormal that often bleeds into popular culture because people read about it and therefore they can use it as an explanation for things they can't explain. Yeah, yeah, I tend to think I tend to think that's usually what it is more than anything. It's like, well, I don't know what it is, it's a tulpa. Or an alien. Or an alien, yeah, sure. I mean that's that's realistic. I, I'd actually believe that more than I would tulpa, frankly. <laughs> Sunday, I think you make a great point and I think you could be onto something. Our next message is from Jane. And Jane says, Paul, so surprised to hear you mention Dusty Springfield. Her name and music just don't come up much anymore. I loved her. Great voice and such an elegant style. And I completely agree, Jane. Man's got taste. What can I say? <laughs> yeah. Beautiful woman and a, an incredible voice and a uh, tragic life as well, sadly. Next up, we have a message from Matt. And Matt says, I wouldn't normally reach out to a podcast I listen to, but this one is very important to me. I am a long-time listener and love the show and the clear passion you put into the production. I do tend to listen as I'm falling asleep, so you probably get three or four extra listens out of me through Spotify. <laughs> I want to highlight your segment when you talk about mental health. I am sure your words have saved me from doing something silly, and it's down to the sincerity and genuine way in which you deliver that message. I'm going through some tough times, but always look forward to each new episode. I want to thank you and trust that anyone who is feeling hopeless hears that message the same as me and carries your words with them for when they are needed. Keep up the good work, fellas. I have a couple of stories to share myself that I have held on to, but maybe another time. And Matt, I sent you a separate email in response, but I just want to say thank you. You know, we, we have another message like this coming up. Um, and honestly, it's it shit like this that gets me through because I had some pretty rough mental health times leading up to my vacation. And stuff like this is a great reminder that the work we do you know, it matters. You know, we're not, we're not out here saving lives. We're not out here putting out fires, but we are doing what we can to make an incremental improvement in people's lives. And that's nice to know. Absolutely. It's deeply humbling to know that just by repeating our open and honest way of dealing with mental health and the challenges we've both faced over the years allows other people to really realize that they're not alone and it's a very mature conversation. And we'll talk about it till the cows come home. It's as simple as that. That's it. So thank you, Matt. Next up is from Kavnis. Kavnis says, your Arkansas fangirl here. Bet Bren has already been inundated with responses to the reference he made to command and control in the latest episode. The 1980 Titan missile explosion actually occurred in Damascus, Arkansas, not Iowa. I forgive you. Wink. A documentary was made about in 2016, and that film was shown on PBS's American Experience in 2017. I can't remember if you mentioned that. It was quite a horrifying event for those who even knew it was happening. Tragically, one man, Airman David Lee Livingston, was killed trying to avert a disaster that could have been of unimaginable proportions. Over 20 others were injured, some severely. You both, and your significant others, have an open invitation to visit the natural state anytime. Maybe the folk monster or the Ozark Howler will turn up. If not, we have tons of other great spots for you to enjoy from the supposedly haunted Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs, 
to Monte Nee, the flooded resort that rises from the cold, watery depths like Brigadoon when the state experiences a prolonged drought, and all the way down to Texarkana, the town that dreaded sundown. Yes, Paul, another of the excellent Charles B. Pierce's cinematic efforts. Stay safe out there in our crazy world, guys. Listening to you always makes me smile. Except when Brennan talks about spiders. You can leave that off. Love y'all, Cavness. <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize I talked about spiders that much, Cavness, because they scare the shit out of me too. So maybe I'm just trying to pass my fear off to you, you know? Uh, thank yes. you for the correction on command and control. I, I can't believe I screwed that up, but thank you very much. And I have not seen the documentary, but I'm going to rent it because, I, I, again, I love that book. Easily one of my favorite American cryptids, the Falk Monster. So I, I actually know nothing about it. It's the Beast of Boggy Creek. That's its proper name. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Yep. So uh, fabulous. I'd love to get down there and instead of reading about Lyle Blackburn's adventures and travels around there, because <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the, uh, the encyclopedia about the whole case is Lyle Blackburn's book. I recommend both of them highly. They're brilliant. If you have any interest in cryptids and strange creatures running amok and terrifying local people, then uh, both his books on that subject are as fabulous as the classic 1972 film as well. And finally, I, something I wanted to say just quickly, I can't remember if I talked about this on the show before. I think I mentioned it on Host Adventures, which is one of our patron shows, but uh, there are people out there Googling Brennan's store wife. Uh, don't do that. That's weird. Please don't do that. My <laughs> wife, my wife, Nikki, is a, is a lovely woman. She, the reason I, I never bring her up on the show, or I, I shouldn't say never, I don't, I don't post pictures of her on social media, is because she has a public-facing job within the uh, provincial government of BC, and when I w- my very first real lengthy public appearance was on uh, Midnight in the Desert with, with Heather Wade, and I heard the story about a sniper taking a shot at Art Bell, and I decided at that point, you know what, I don't want to have my personal life out there a whole bunch for people to kind of pick at. So that's why I'll mention Nikki, but I, I never post pictures of her on social media, and that's just because I, I want to let her have her privacy, and I don't want people to be weird to her and we have had people be kind of weird so that is why i i don't post pictures so uh let me save you the trouble of googling bread and store wife because i literally i put my i put my name into google it was something to do with a book i was trying to figure out and i thought well fuck it i'll just google it and so i put bread store and i hit space and it said wife and i thought who the fuck is doing this <laughs> that's weird my goddamn what okay come on guys come on hmm. she exists i swear she's real She's just a spy. Well, that fine. That that's the only reason I can see her putting up with my shit this long. But I don't know what kind of <laughs> intel she's getting. October twenty third, he farted in bed again. You know, I, I don't know that there's anything <laughs> real engaging there in terms of state secrets. But uh, yeah, so that's 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 my that's my my uh, my plea to you. Don't be weird. <laughs> so thank you again, Kavnis. And we have one final message. This is another call. And this is from Catherine. Hi, this is Catherine. I was literally am too lazy for text, but I just wanted to kind of check in and let you know how you have had an impact. I have texted before once about it, how the weekly reminder about it, the way back into the world has helped. And I was listening to some episodes a couple of weeks ago at night. And it, a few hours later, I actually was like lying in bed and going, there is absolutely no reason for me to be alive. There is nothing that I'm looking forward to. Everything that I do, it'll just keep on going as the quote, and I hate my life the way that it is. I don't want to spend a nice here, Brendan's like freaking voice talking about it when it's 
and just seem like there's no hope there's it's easy to find to feel like there's no help or reverse those two you know what I mean anyway I got that stuck in my head you freaking jerk why do you have to be so addictive to listen to but it always sounds like an after school special where it's like a famous celebrity is joining me today to tell you not to do drugs and so I always kind of laugh at that section but I also wanted to share what is, uh, that kind of thing has inspired me to do. I recently discovered that the Trevor Project, which is an LGBTQIA plus uh, supporters network, is looking for volunteer crisis counselors. And so I applied to do that because while I am myself a cis-hat woman, I have a lot of friends who have struggled with mental health as a result of having issues with their sexual identity, with their gender identity, with the way that their family treated matters. And so I decided to submit my application to do that. They got back to me and had me do a background check, and I start training to be a way back into the world counselor next week on August 2nd. So thanks for all of your input and reminding us of ways to get help. Thanks. Bye. Uh, Catherine, I don't know, man, that's, you know, both your and Matt's messages were really, really kind. And I can't tell you how proud I am of you for not only getting through what you got through, but then taking that and using it to help other people, uh, especially the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is a wonderful organization. And we haven't said this, I think we've inferred it, but I, I think Paul and I can both comfortably say that this show is a friend to the LGBTQ community. We are in favor of women's bodily autonomy. We are pro-choice. We are anti-bully, anti-scumbag, anti-dirtbag, anti-anyone who wants to try and control the lives and fates of others. So no, that we are 1000% in support of all those things. And if you are not, hey man, we love you too, but you got to fix your heart because there is a real plague happening right now, not just to want people, you know, people coughing in each other's mouths, but there is a real ugliness spreading in the world and people seem to think it's okay to pick on the most vulnerable because they somehow have it in their head that these vulnerable people somehow have more power than they do they don't so we are 1000 percent on the side of love in all its forms and if you're not man fix your shit because you're going to die real angry because you are on the wrong side of history anything to add paul I think you've summed it up perfectly. Yeah. Besides, I've always I've always stood with the the marginalized and the and the weird because I am. That's it. We're both fucking weirdos. And I don't know. I like. Th- there have been times when we talked about the shit on the show, and we get emails saying you're, you're uh, virtue signaling or grandstanding. I I truly don't give a shit if you think that because it's important to say this shit out loud. So, Catherine, again, thank you so much for your message. Thank you so much for still being here and for turning your pain into something that helps other people and not just like it's believe me if anyone out there suffering if you survive it that's good enough man just stay here with us that's all we want but if you can then take that pain and and turn it into something even more beautiful and there's nothing more beautiful than helping other people who need it then holy shit we are just so honored to have you as part of our audience and to have had even a small part in that process so thank you to everyone who writes in to tell us that our mental health PSA has, has made a difference for you. I'll be totally honest. It's made a difference for me. I've had some iffy mental health the last six months just for various reasons. And honestly, the, one of the things that's kept me here is the idea that I don't want everyone thinking I'm a hypocrite. 
you know, by putting that out every episode and then doing something stupid myself. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, on that, can we tr- can we transition to ghost stories on that note, Paul? I feel like that's a little bit heavy for ghosts. <laughs> I wouldn't know. I think people moving forwards and utilizing their personal situations into the betterment of others is something to be celebrated and congratulated upon and all power to anybody who does the same. Absolutely. Goddamn lutely. And now, on with the stories. Our first story is Dracula from Victoria. Hello, this is Victoria, and I was really struck by the recent podcast I just heard from you all when the lady that called into the line and talked about um, the torture she experienced as she was growing up and uh, with people or something around her bed and keeping her up and how how that affected her life. And then Paul also talked about having a friend, and he had a very similar circumstance uh, when he was growing up. And in fact, the poor guy got exactly beaten as he went to the bathroom in his bed. Well, I have a similar instance or a similar story in which uh, when I was growing up, and I do have memories, I remember things, small snippets of things from my age two on. So I remember I was about four or five when this happened, and I recall not every night, but many nights, I had what I told my mother were uh, Frankenstein and Dracula around my bed. And, and that's, the only, that's all my vocabulary to describe what I saw, but basically surrounding my entire bed, except the headboard because that was against the wall, surrounding my entire bed were like these figures, and they were all shoulder to shoulder, and they just surrounded my bed. And I don't remember ever seeing the face necessarily, but... I almost remember them having, like, hands, and they'd be kind of wringing their hands underneath their faces, and they were just intensely looking at me, never trying to touch me or anything. But I was terrified, and uh, I made my mother go to some elaborate testing schedule every night where she had to uh, basically tuck all of my blankets around me. I kind of looked like a mummy, uh, and that's how I felt safe at night. I had to have everything covered, even in the summer. I was just roast in my bed because I couldn't have any of my flesh showing, and then... I actually put a pillow over my face, and my mother told me that it was a very small little uh, tree bird pillow, and uh, I would use that to protect me. And and occasionally I would have enough guts to run out of bed and, and jump into my parents' bed. But no, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, in fact, other people may have similar experiences. And I'm, I'm curious to hear if that's the case. And I and I kind of am guessing here, but I, I'm curious if. Spirits are drawn to children. I mean, mean, we talk about the veil between adulthood and children and how that veil is, you know, the spiritual maybe thinner for children. And I believe that that is definitely the case because I I do believe children do have a special energy around them that surrounds them. And I'll tell you, I say this because I've been a nurse for many, many years, and uh, I used to help uh, the deliveries of children. And every single time, I've seen hundreds of births. Every single time a child is born and they cry, I would feel like this exhilaration. I would like a spark through my body. So, Victoria, thank you so much. And for our listeners who don't know, Victoria is referring to a story told on episode 137, Those Who Watch You Sleep. 
And it was an anonymous story submitted by a listener via the ghost line where she was being frightened by something in bed. And it was so bad that, yeah, she would sooner pee the bed than, than get out. And, you know, I, I think Victoria makes a point. I mean, you know, we've talked before about how kids are more likely to see things, you know, because maybe they haven't had a beat out of them by life, you know, the notion that there might be something beyond what we expect. But I wonder if there's a reason that these things come to kids, you know, if because they're vulnerable. I just think that kids are more in tune with the natural world. Okay, so you think what they're seeing is always there, it's just they're the ones who are able to see it. It's not that these things are are drawn to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, there is this aspect of, of sight where children's eyesight sees a, a wider spectrum than adults, and they lose the ability when they get to about seven or eight. Right. And your vision becomes as normal as everyone else's, as adults. But I'm a sure. big... I, uh, I've, I've said this before and I'll say it again. I, I find children's experiences with the paranormal some of the most frightening and interesting in the whole aspect of the field, especially Mr. Skin. Oh, Mr. Skin. Oh, Christ, Mr. <laughs> Skin. He doesn't have any and he wants some more. Nope. <laughs> no thanks. And I think for, for, those of us who, for those of you who aren't sure, I believe that's episode 138. I think that's the next one. The Abominable Mr. Skin. And that was... <laughs> That was another listener story, and that was a that was a chiller. Holy Christ! Um, I think what Victoria is saying about you know having seen Dracula and the Mummy, that there seems to be. I think that lines up with what Sunday was saying. Oh, she said Dracula and Frankenstein. Oh, sorry, Dracula and Frankenstein. Right? No, she was wrapped up like a mummy in the blankets. That's mm-hmm. it. Which you could um, say is probably why they turned up because they thought she was. Oh, there we go. They were just they were, mummy had gone missing. It's the Monster Squad. What a great movie! I love that mm. movie. I will say though, I posted that meme and someone said, what exactly do mummies do to you? Do they just beat you up? And I, I, I am, I have this image now of just mummies just curb stomping the shit out of people. You know, they just catch up with you and they, they just kind of clobber you and take your wallet. <laughs> One of the most powerful supernatural creatures in the world. But, but what, like, how do they supernatural you? Do they, do they liquefy your organs? Do they, I don't know, pull a tapeworm out of your ass with their mind? Like what, what is, what exactly is the mummy's secret ability? Uh, that almost invulnerable. Okay. So, I mean, they'd be, you know, great linebackers, but I mean, what, what is their threat to me? Like if I'm being, if a mummy is slowly shuffling after me, what do I have to worry about? I mean, when he catches up with me, I'm not going to be able to rob him because he's invulnerable, but what does, what does he do to me? He'll snap you like a twig. Okay. Well, no, that's, that's convincing. I don't need to know anymore. But you're okay. Cause you've got cats. They're scared of you cats. Don't. So the mummy's just just an Egyptian themed WWE wrestler who's afraid of cats. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, but they are essentially unstoppable. They are in, in the annals of, of supernatural literature. Only the vampire is more powerful than a mummy. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So now I know if I see someone wrapped up in bandages, do not taunt them. <laughs> one of Christopher Lee's greatest performances. Really? He played the mummy. Yeah. In the first hammer one. No kidding. Mm. He's the mummy and, and Cushing is the hero. Fascinating. Seems a waste to have him buried under bandages, though. Mm. You can definitely, you, you can tell it's him. But, uh, he's, he's incredible. And it's probably one of my favorite, probably along with the Karloff, first Karloff one. Interesting. I know so little about Hammerman. I, I have so many of those movies I got to catch up on. It's just a massive gap in my, my horror knowledge. Definitely uh, that late 50s periods, probably there. For me, they're uh, their golden era. So many, so many great films at that point. I've seen. I think what have I? Seen? I've seen the ones you've told me about. So basically, Devil Rides Out mm-hmm. and Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. But I think that's he. about it. 
The Abominable Snowman is probably the most underrated Hammer film of all time. What what makes it underrated? So what's 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 its strength? It was made in 1956, so it was when everybody was going yeti crazy. Oh, okay. At the time, but it's a really it's a really well made film. It's quite violent for the era, I think. Oh, okay. And there's a strange bit of mysticism involved. And once again, Peter Cushing is the hero. All right. And the Yetis aren't what we would perceive them to be. And there's, yeah. No, no, I was going to say something else then, but that's a, that's a really fucking awful film um, <laughs> that I was beginning to think about there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's easily in my top five Hammer films, The Abominable Snowman. Shit, okay. You know, on the subject, just before we move on, and I'm sorry, um, Victoria, this has nothing to do with your story, but uh, Nick and I have started watching Cheers on Paramount+. <laughs> Plus. She's never really seen, she watched maybe a couple episodes when she was a kid, but she's never really seen it. So we started watching it, and of course, for me, it's, it's very, very dear to my heart because my, you know, my, my family watched it as it was coming out. Yep. And uh, something that occurred to me in watching the first season, as we have been, is, and this is the same, I feel like, with Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee, Actors, kind of like wrestlers in a lot of ways, they, they used to be people who had really lived lives and then mm. moved into that space. <laughs> so, you know, Christopher Lee was a soldier and he was a spy and, and uh, I'm, I, don't, I don't know Peter Cushing's backstory, but I assume that he had some kind of similar, you know, sort of a path into that, into that profession. No, Cushing, Cushing was one of the few that even as a child, he wanted to be an actor. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and his, his family didn't were quite supportive but it wasn't that kind of thing where you know because in those days well if you wanted to be an actor then usually it meant one thing which was often that you were gay for right. a lot of people um so his his family were a little concerned about that but Cushing's one of the odd ones where he essentially wanted to be an actor from a very early age and was fortunate enough to end up doing it he had a couple of odd jobs in between but he eventually got his break and, and, and the rest is history. Oh, okay. So f fair enough. But I, I, maybe, so maybe what I'm thinking is there was more room for people like that. Cause mm. you know, watching cheers, he had a Nicholas Colasanto who had been a, you know, he had been a Marine. I think he fought in the second world war. Yeah. You know, one of the character actors, a guy named Ron Karabatsis, he had been a, a homicide detective for 24 years. Uh, I think Dennis Farina actually, uh, yeah. from, uh, you know, uh, law and order and snatch and I, that sort of revival of unsolved mysteries there in the two thousands. He also, I believe had been a homicide detective. Mm. And I feel like that's less of a thing now. I feel like now it's more, you know, everyone is that guy comes up. I want to be an actor. You know, <laughs> you don't have some, some ugly motherfucker who just finished, you know, getting back from Korea or something and thinking, <laughs> well, I'm tired of murdering people. So, uh, <laughs> Let's see what this Hollywood is all about. And I feel like there's just, you don't get that quite as much. Like, I think Adam Driver is the only person I can think of off the top of my head because he was, I believe, a Marine or something like that mm. before, he, before he moved into acting. But I think that's, that's less common. So I, yeah. I, I, this is me, this is me uh, advocating for more, more ugly people in Hollywood is what's happening. <laughs> well, to be fair, a lot of them ended up joining the army anyway during the second world war so whether whether they wanted to be actors they all, a lot of them ended up going into the forces anyway david niven is a prime example and he was a commando um right, so right. God, god only knows when obviously i've mentioned the strange connection with glenn miller as well which has never really sure. been fully explained by anyone <laughs> really and unfortunately obviously niven has long since departed but um yeah there's hundreds of them at that period all went into the into the forces I guess that's it. At that point, there wasn't a choice. You didn't choose to go into the army. 
Mm. You know, it was, uh, I guess maybe you did, but it, you know, it wasn't much of a choice. Mm-hmm. Well, some some of them stayed in Hollywood, but I know Niven was one of those who was he was very keen to join the the effort. Right. I remember that was one of the only times my grandfather and I really disagreed on something. He was talking because he had he enlisted to fight mm. in the Pacific Front, and um, they dropped the the bomb, the first bomb, when he was I think he was in transit. Mm. You know, after basic training, so he never actually made it to the front. And I just told him, I said, I can't get my head around volunteering to go die in a war, and and. You know, I'm not going to get into the, you know, sort of the argument here, but it, it was one of the few times where he just, we just could not, could not come to any kind of like agreement because I just couldn't get my head around it, you know? And he, he would just tell me, no, you just, I don't know. Yeah. You, you had to go fight because you had to, what else, mm-hmm. you know, how could you stay home when this was happening? And I, I maybe now that I'm older, I understand that better. Mm-hmm. But when I was a kid, I just thought, well, screw that noise. I don't want to get shot. I can stay over here. I can stay over here. This is perhaps not the bravest thing I've ever said, but it is the most pragmatic. Mm. Yeah. I've always been amazed at some of the people that fought in the First World War over here and then re-enlisted for the Second World War. Well, at least we finally defeated fascism, right, Paul? (laughs) (laughs) On that hopeful note, we're going to take a quick break to pay the bills. We'll be right back with our next story. The Wumpf from Lee. I grew up in a small town in northern Minnesota. My parents divorced when I was young, and my mom, two sisters, and myself moved around until we were able to buy our first house when I was about 12 or 13. It was a cute little three-bedroom house located on a gravel road, with our neighbors being sisters that had married brothers. So weird, I know. That, that is weird. This house had some interesting history, with a supposed suicide or homicide, depending on who you talk to, and some unexpected residents. I saw three female spirits there, but that's a story for another time. What I want to share with you is the day my youngest sister, her best friend and I, saw the demon we named the Wumpf. My sister and her best friend were about seven or eight at the time, and we were playing in their tree fort in the way backyard. The fort was located on the top of a small hill behind our house. There was a small group of large pine and oak trees which opened into a large field. They had played out there many times with no incidents, so when I heard them screaming, I knew something was seriously wrong. I was in the kitchen making lunch for all of us when the first scream hit my ears. It was a warm summer day, so all the windows and doors were opened. When I heard them screaming, I thought one of them had gotten hurt, so I ran to the kitchen door to see what the hell was going on. I saw the girls running their asses off down the hill towards the house, screaming bloody murder. They were saying, help us. I was about ready to tear them a new asshole for screaming like that, until I saw what was chasing them. It was a black mass that looked about two feet in diameter. No human features or anything could be seen. What the hell is that? I asked the girls. Help us, is all they would say. I threw the kitchen screen door open as they ran inside crying and screaming. We slammed the door shut just as the mass hit the back steps. As it hit the door, it made a whoomph sound. It hit the door so hard it started to push it back open. We pressed our bodies against the door to keep the thing out, and every time it hit the door, it made that same sound, whoomph, whoomph, whoomph. Every hit shook the door until we thought the door would break in half. And then, silence. No birds, no noise at all. The whole thing seemed to last for hours, but in reality only minutes had passed from the moment I first heard the girls scream. What was that? Did you girls mess with anything up there? They assured me they were only playing in their fort and hadn't done anything wrong. We opened the kitchen door after about 15 minutes of eerie quiet. On the kitchen door, 
right about where that thing had hit, was a black mark in the shape of a huge human hand. What the actual fuck did we just see? I knew I had to take care of the mark on the door before my mom got home from work, as we had just painted that door. I grabbed the paint out of the garage and repainted the entire door just to make sure it was covered. My sister and I have never spoken of this since it happened. That was over 30 years ago, and the only other person I've ever told was my son, and the wump was never seen again. I moved out of that house when I was 19 and have never been back or talked to anyone now living there to see if they've seen or experienced anything. I've experienced many other paranormal things in my life and seen other demons and spirits, but nothing has scared the absolute hell out of me like the wump did. That reminds me of a story we had on the show previously, and I wasn't able to find which story it was, but we had another listener who had an experience with a, a thick black mass that didn't exactly have a shape but kind of kind of existed. And, and I got to say, I, I don't understand why people live in the country. It just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, at least if something starts banging on your door in the city, you're like, oh yeah, no, he, it's just a mugger. That is a burglar. Fine. I can, I can quantify that. It is not a shapeless mass barreling down for me, you know, demanding my soul. <laughs> well, Northern Minnesota is a strange place. What stories have you heard from Northern Minnesota? It's a, it's a hotbed of Bigfoot. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Eli, Duluth, um, is it the Iron Ridge as well? It's one of the most popular areas for, for Bigfoot sightings in comparison with some of the, the more usual places like California and Oregon. Really? I did not know that. Yeah. Well, Minnesota, that kind of area, people tend to focus on dogman stories because obviously there's a lot of them from that area as well. But uh, yeah, it's a hell of a lot of Bigfoot sightings up there. So this is just some kind of Bigfoot in a costume desperately trying to make some friends with kids. Which Who Bigfoot, knows? hey, if you're listening, don't do that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Minnesota's quite obviously uh, home to uh, Chad Lewis. So I was just going to say, yeah, Chad has written a couple books about the area, hasn't he? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And Wendigo as well up there. So what you're saying is buying a house in the woods in northern Minnesota, you basically bought a one-way ticket on the weird train. Very much so. And that's, that's regardless of the incredibly terrifyingly cold winters that they have. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm talking about spending a little more time, you know, Sam, staying with some friends back east. And, uh, of course, you know, the way things are working out, I'm not going to get there until probably September, well, September or October, just in time for winter, which I got to say, I am not excited about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Chad was telling me once it, it, when he hunkers down in the winter, sometimes it can drop down to minus 30 there. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up in cold weather. I like cold weather, but I've lived on the coast so long. It's made me soft. <laughs> I'm, I'm a weak man now, Paul. I, I like being able to, I hate layers. I don't like layers. I like being able to wear one jacket when I go outside. The, the idea of having to cover myself in layers like some kind of hairy matryoshka doll does nothing for me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've only had one real bad winter here in the last sort of 20 years. So we're, we're getting quite soft here as well. What's a bad winter for the UK? Uh, that got down to the coldest. It was minus 16 here. Oh, okay. So that's, I mean, that's, that's pretty cold all its own. Yeah. It was the, the, I think, I mean, it was one of those things they kept mentioning a winter in 81 when I was like nine. And I don't remember that at all. And, but I lived in a house with no central heating then. And I, I don't understand why I don't remember it. Cause in <laughs> those days when you'd wake up sometimes and there'd be ice on the inside of your window. Oh God. The good old oh. days. 
<laughs> well, we had to be wrapped up in bed like Catherine, basically mummified. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> 17 blankets, days before duvets and things like that. Oh, you'd have those terrible thin blankets with kind of the shiny edges on them. Did you guys have those? They were just terrible. They didn't keep you warm. They were scratchy. They were, they were basically like the hair shirt of blankets. They were just, they were there for the religious aesthetics to punish themselves with. Mm, and patchwork quilts. Oh, that doesn't seem so bad. I feel like if you wrap yourself in enough patchwork quilt, you're going to get some kind of warmth. Mm. I've always been, I've always viewed them as, as deeply dangerous things after I watched that episode of Friday the 13th, the series where they had a killer patchwork quilt. You may be the only person who remembers that series. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I feel very bad for you because that's a horrible thing to have ruined. That'd be like, that'd be like if I watched something about a killer chicken wing. <laughs> yes. The series that was, ha had absolutely nothing to do with the film at all. It's a very odd program. I feel like in the documentary Crystal Lake Memories, they talked about that. And I think it was a rights thing. Mm -hmm. You know, they got the name, but, but not the, the visuals or something like that. So they had to try and construct a, a Friday the 13th series without the thing everyone came to Friday the 13th for. <laughs> Yeah. I think it's the forgotten paranormal series of the nineties. Yeah, I think so too. I don't, I think aside from YouTube, I don't know that there's anywhere you can watch the episodes. Yeah. Well, there we are. We can, we can start the movement now. Bring back Friday the 13th, the show. <laughs> but one last thing I think is interesting. You know, you talk about there being like a Bigfoot thing there and, uh, you know, all these different cryptids, the fact that it left a human sized hand or a, mm. I, sorry, I, I misread the story. It's a human like hand, a mm. large human like hand. That is really interesting. And I think that goes a long way towards these things you, you and I talk about with like these temporary manifestations. Yeah. You know, it looks like a black mass, but that's maybe because you don't have the right frame of reference for whatever it is that you're seeing, you know, or mm. yeah, or maybe it, maybe it didn't care enough to try and appear as anything else, but in order for it to interact with the world, it had to manifest in a certain way. So mm. once it got to the door, maybe it, it sort of tried to appear as something different. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's loads of weird looking cryptids running about that have been reported over the years, like the Enfield Horror and the Dover Demon, which aren't like anything else that people have reported. I mean, the Enfield Horror was supposed to have three legs, for God's sake. Really? Hmm? Interesting. I don't, I don't, I, I'm familiar with the Enfield Poltergeist. I don't know the Enfield Horror. Yeah, it's, it's from down in the States and it's a, it was a, it's a very strange series of events where I think one of the primary witnesses, people just didn't take seriously because he was known as a local eccentric, but um, it terrified loads of people. It was just running through people's gardens in a scrapyard for, for about a week to two weeks, terrifying people. And then it just one of them, it just disappeared like the Dover demon just went, turned up, frightened a few people, buggered off. Fascinating. And it had three legs. Mm. Two of the witnesses recorded it as three, three legs. So yeah, it's very, and it doesn't look like anything. So it, you know, you can't say it was a misidentified Bigfoot or a dogman or something like that. It's just a very odd case. Interesting. I, I'm going to look that up. I'm very, I've never heard of this. I assume I might have heard of it rather, but uh, yeah, I sort of lumped it in with the Enfield poltergeist. Mm. Yes, I, I, but some, I spoke it's about 10 years ago when I first heard it and somebody was talking about the Enfield horror and I said, oh, you mean the Enfield poltergeist? I went, no, this is in the States. I was like, oh, right. Okay. Tell me more. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> I'll include a link to this in the show notes, folks. It's yeah, it, it looks like a like kind of a weird bent over of like a gargoyle or something. Like like something from one of the better X Files episodes. <laughs> Fascinating. And it never seemed to touch anyone. It just kind of terrorized them. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. 
Well, there we go. We learned about the Enfield, the Enfield horror today. Just uh, Brennan, Paul, <laughs> ruining your sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah, putting put the uh, the weird cryptid box along with the Loveland Frogman and other such weirdos. Okay, now I got to know about the Loveland Frogman. The Loveland Frogman was a, a a series of sightings of a giant man-sized frog running about. Jesus Christ. Uh, there was two two events in the fi- one one flap in the fifties and one in the seventies. The, the one in the seventies was witnessed by a police officer, um, and also has one of the worst skeptical explanations ever. Where a it's one of those explanations where they don't give any proof, but a random other police officer says, "Oh yeah, it was an iguana without a tail, and I killed it." Well, where is it then? Oh, um, moving on. What and and I'm just I'm reading about it here an iguana that's four feet tall. <laughs> That's some iguana. Yeah, yeah. It was in Ohio as well, which is not known for being uh, I think yeah, giant lizards. Know. Yeah, it's not very uh, palatial for for a cold blooded reptile to be running about, especially one with no tail. There we go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Lee. And if you ever care to share your other stories with us, we would love to hear them. Thank you so much. Next up, Afghanistan from Victoria. I've been a nurse for many years, and within the last few years, uh, probably one of the more powerful, I guess, ghost stories I could say that uh, happened in the hospital I was working at was uh, one of the head nurses of one of the wards called me and said that they had a little boy who was in isolation. And the isolation was important to note because they have, uh, these rooms have special ventilation. They don't share the ventilation with anybody else in the hospital or on the ward. And this child was in um, an isolation room, and he was complaining to his mother about hearing a man yelling for help. And I went down to talk with the mother and uh, pulled the mother aside. She's like, "Look, my kid is not really sensible. You know, he doesn't really have doesn't have imaginary friends. He doesn't. This is not something normal for him. But he's telling me that he hears uh, a man yelling it for him." Or yelling at him. So I went and I just, I didn't want to alarm the child, but I, I said, well, I, I understand that you, you hear things. Um, and he, and he was very nonchalant. He was just coloring and he said, well, I know you all don't hear them, but I do. And this man, he, you know, I said, well, you know, what is he, what is he saying? He said, like, help me. Please help me. And I said, well, is this, is this a, what, is this a boy? Is it a, is it a man? Or what, what, how can you gauge? Like, what kind of voice is he? But, it's like Pappy, so I could tell it's an adult. And um, the mother said, well, you know, I, I'm okay staying here. And he didn't seem at all upset about it. But later after he left, we actually staged the room because <laughs> we were all kind of frightened. And, uh, again, I can, there's more medical stories I can tell you about. One of the little, one of the freakier ones that happened per, to me personally, I was in the Army. I was stationed in Afghanistan, and I was in an intensive care unit, and we had a girl who'd been burned. And uh, she developed an infection, which caused her not to be able to be in the open ward that we had. And we had to isolate her, and we actually had to clean out her oxygen room. And we set up a bed there. And at this point, she was she was better. Uh, she was off a ventilator, and we were, she was trying to we weaned her off of her sedation. So to be fair, she um, she was very agitated because we weren't using. You know, she was she didn't know who was who was around her, her family wasn't there, she was obviously very scared, and um, I think she was the strongest of the medications we had her on. 
regardless, because she had to be in a room by herself and only had one staff member in there at all times because I was a teenager, I would go in and relieve whatever nurse was caring for the child for their lunch. And I was in there, and this little girl was really agitated, a little bit more so than normal. And I had her, I remember I had her on my lap. I was sitting in the chair beside her bed, and I was trying to play with her and, you know, just keep her distracted. I could tell she was, like, uncomfortable. And I remember, you know, she's restless and not really focusing. And then suddenly she kind of stopped, and she began to stare across the bed from us. And she, um, and then she started tracking something as if it was coming around the bed, circling the bed, and then coming towards us. And as whatever she saw was coming towards us, she screamed and she basically tried to crawl into me, you know, obviously looking for protection. And I, and I held her really tight and, and she shielded her head into my chest. And I swear there was nothing there. And I was so spooked. And thankfully, not too long after that, the other nurse came in and I handed the child off to her. And I was like, woo-wee. But uh, I would say if any place in the world would have been haunted, for sure, that hospital saw massive amounts of trauma. It was very it was traumatic for everyone, even the people who worked there. That place would definitely be haunted. Okay, I love your guys' show. Thank you so much, and take care. Bye. So, thank you for that, Victoria. And I was I got curious to know if other soldiers in Afghanistan had reported <laughs> paranormal encounters. Are you going to mention the, the rock? What's that? Are you going to mention the rock? The rock? In Afghanistan. Like the bird? No. As in the very famous alleged incident that happened with some Marines there. Oh, no, I'm not familiar. What's the story? So the rock was an outpost that British and US troops were using as a sentry post in the Kandahar region. Right. And um, the Marines turned up to take over from the Brits, and you had to do a 90-day tour there, and uh, all kinds of crazy shit start going off. Interesting. What's it, for instance? Finding bodies buried underneath the, the outpost, seeing ghosts walking through barbed wire and over booby trap land, screams, oh, okay. machine gun noises when there was nothing happening. Basically, the sound of death was coming apparently every night and, and absolutely terrified them. Fascinating. So no, th th this isn't that. This is an article <laughs> published by a website called We Are the Mighty. It's sort of it caters to the veteran community. Mm -hmm. And so I'm going to read a couple a couple bits from here. So th the first one is um, the first one's pretty mild, but it, here it goes. It says several mysterious reports came from a United States Marine who had just come back home after serving a tour in Afghanistan. The witness tends to be secretive about his role in the war only stating that his unit was, quote, relatively safe and only suffered two non-combat-related casualties. The witness claims to have had a couple of potential encounters with ghosts during his service. One of them occurred as he was sitting with some superiors and colleagues within a makeshift office in the desert. There were three rooms. There were reportedly four other people in the cramped room with him when, as he was standing near the back door, he noticed his lieutenant step through the door and enter a small adjoining contractor's office. He saw the man clearly, but at this point there was nothing particularly strange about it, and the witness explained he was wearing a frog suit and everything. Nothing unusual about him, even had the mustache. Just 30 seconds later, a call came through asking for the lieutenant, and the witness went to the contractor's office to fetch him. Strangely, the room was completely empty. No one was there. Since there was no other door out of the office, the witness asked if anyone had noticed the lieutenant leave. 
but nobody had, even though there were four others in the enclosed space, and it seemed that somebody would have noticed such a thing. The witness went to the rear door of the office they were in and looked around, but there was no one there either. Even a look outside showed no signs of anyone. It was as if the lieutenant had just disappeared into thin air. The witness explained, I said, disregard, sergeant, nobody is around, looks like I was seeing things. Then my roommate, a fellow Lance, says to me, that's bullshit, you and I both know somebody is in that room. And I just said, nope, you saw it too, someone walked in and nobody came out, but nobody is there. Another incident in the very same office happened one evening at around 10pm. The witness claims that he was alone after working late and on his way out when the door to the contractor's room opened by itself and stayed open. He went to investigate and shone a flashlight into the dim space, but no one was there. He said that at the time he had a very strange feeling like he was being watched and that it was quite unsettling. The very same witness claimed to have seen other strange things during his tour. He says there was a mysterious heat signature that would be seen on infrared equipment wandering and pacing around in the desert outside in the dark. Yet when it was observed with different cameras with the naked eye, nothing was there and there was no response when they called out into the night. And so there are other accounts, and I'm going to share a few more of them here. Different witnesses, but I just think they're so unique, and we so rarely get any insight into places like Afghanistan that I, I just have to share them. So I, I'm going to continue. Another witness who reported strange ghostly figures in the desert claimed that his unit was plagued by a mysterious phantom that would appear around the outskirts of their camp and vanish in the blink of an eye. The first time it appeared was a little after dusk, a couple hundred yards from their position. One of the men, described as a random private, told the others there was a person out in the wilderness just standing there. The witness looked and at first couldn't see anything, but after a moment could make out a dark blob vaguely in the shape of a person. The sergeant apparently was called over and saw it too. When asked where the figure had come from, the private explained that it had just, quote, popped up. Whoever was out there was just standing motionless with its back to them. The witness described the eerie scene and what happened next, quote, so we watched this person for about three hours who just stands there, motionless, with his back to us. You could put optics on it and see it was a person, adult male, average height and build. Best part, we borrowed a thermal monocular, and this fucker doesn't register on it. Zero heat signature. Then randomly, poof. Gone. Random private spends the next six weeks telling everyone about the ghost we saw. Around six months later, the same witness was out on patrol when two of his unit reported seeing two figures standing on top of a berm a couple of hundred yards away. Anticipating an enemy IED, improvised explosive device, they stopped the vehicle and examined the figures, which appeared to be men just standing with their backs to them. They were motionless and would not respond when called to, just like the strange phantom previously seen six months earlier. The lieutenant called it in and some of the men got out to investigate. The witness then explained what happened next. Quote, we dismount. LT calls over Terp, asks if he knows what's up. Terp, I don't know what Terp means. Terp gives blank stare and shrugs. LT decides we should go have a look-see and do some hearts and minds shit. I stay in the truck, which feels like 140 degrees. And I, there is a lot more profanity in this that I'm reading, folks, just so you understand. This, this very much feels like a first-hand account of a soldier based on the soldiers I know. There is a lot of profanity. 20 minute goes by. LT comes back with a weird look on his face and says, we're out of here. Later that day, I asked another guy what the fuck happened. He says they got within 50 yards of these aforementioned persons and presto, gone. I said, what do you mean gone? And he just looked at me with his blank stare and said, gone. They were there and then they weren't there. 
And now this one, I think, really will interest you, Paul, because this, this sort of relates to something we've talked about on the show. And this is another account of a, from a Marine who served in Afghanistan and Yemen. But this, this happened in Afghanistan. It was about one evening at one in the morning. The witness had just finished setting up a patrol base with four members of his squad while the other 17 men slept. In front of the patrol base was a huge open field, and to the left was an Afghan cemetery. As the witness was looking out over the field on watch duty, he claims that a rock came hurtling through the air to land at his feet. Thinking this has to be peculiar, he peered out into the darkness over the field, which was wide open with no blind spots or hiding places, but he couldn't see anyone there, nor any movement. As he was looking, another rock reportedly was tossed in his direction from the field. The witness put on night vision equipment but could still see no one there, and infrared turned up no heat signatures either. The night was completely quiet, and the field was totally empty. Yet another rock would be lobbed at him as he tried to figure out what was going on, and the whole thing was unnerving. The Marine would say of the incident, quote, At this point, I was freaked out. This happened right after my team leader died, so I was scared, and there was nothing to rule out what threw rocks at me, because there was nothing there. And I mean, that almost sounds like rock throwing, I would say, Paul. That's most commonly associated with things like Bigfoot, is it not? Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or a, uh, an unusually outdoor active poltergeist. The, the article continues, Equally as bizarre as any of these accounts of strange intruders is that of another soldier who's operating with a special forces squad in the mountains of Afghanistan with a mission of setting up a hide to survey. I don't know what that is. I'm not a military guy, folks, as you'll probably have gathered in a village several miles away that was believed to be harboring a Taliban person of interest. The squad's main goal at the time was to observe the village for a few days for any suspicious activity or persons, as well as to collect any useful information. To this end, they set up a team of six men at the base, and two others whose job was to creep in closer to observe from a different vantage point. Things went well at first, but on the second day the squad began having trouble maintaining radio contact with the observation team, Tactical Operations Center. They found that transmissions were plagued by static and sometimes would not go through at all. It was chalked up to the magnetic content of the rocks in the area, and the witness and some of the men went out to reposition the SATCOM in order to get a better signal. As they were doing this at around dusk, one of the soldiers said he spotted a man wearing a white robe who looked to be flitting and running through the rocks outside of the village. When this was reported, the men were immediately suspicious. The witness went on to say, quote, there was something odd about the way he described it, but we were more worried about being compromised. Needless to say, we folded up our shit and got ready to move out. We weren't going to end up in some lone survivor type clusterfuck. We were the fuck out of there. So at this point, it's late dusk and we were moving pretty quick. Everyone is on high alert. We are a small element in a remote area without ready access to any kind of quick reaction force, and we had no reliable comms. The team continued their hasty trek back towards their outpost, and the witness took up the rear, walking backwards and making sure they weren't being followed or leaving a clear trail, his gun trained on the darkness the whole time. As he did this, he spotted a fleeting glimpse of something white moving in the distance, although he could not be sure just what it was or if it was following them. Oddly, he would later report that at the time, he had begun to sense the smell of freshly baked bread permeating the air, and a sudden onset of peace and relaxation which he felt was emanating from the direction they'd come from. This sensation was so profound that he actually slowed down, and thoughts danced through his head of running over to this comfortable place he felt pulling at him from where they had been. He shook off this daze and reported to the other men what he had seen, and that he thought they were possibly being trailed, to which an officer replied that he had seen something white moving as well. The witness would say, quote, 
I asked my dudes to keep their eyes open for anything, because I thought I had seen someone trailing us. Our senior scout piped in and said, that's strange, mom. I was mom, it's a long story. I thought I saw some dude in white on the ridge in front of us. At this point, all the hairs on my neck are standing up. Everything felt strange. The air felt heavy and sort of sweet. The silence hummed loudly. With the night steadily moving in, a sense of urgency, panic, and dread set in, and the men picked up the pace even though they were already exhausted from hauling their heavy packs over the uneasy terrain. As darkness creeped over the landscape to slowly envelop them in pitch blackness, they put on their nods, their night vision goggles, turning the world into a green haze. The night was incredibly silent, even more than usual, and there was no movement out there in the mountainous moonscape. But this eerie silence would not last, and that is when things got very strange indeed. The witness describes it best. Quote, Hallucinations happen, but what happened was beyond comprehension. First we heard a sound like a huge airplane taking off, a loud low buzz that slowly increased in pitch. We had to yell over comms to hear each other. Everywhere I looked I kept seeing what looked like glowing eyes staring back at me, but once I would center my focus on where I saw them they would disappear. We were fucking panicked. Everyone was holding their rifles at the high ready, we were expecting some kind of ambush attack, and we started talking out the RP we would meet as if we needed to start a peel and move. Then it all just stopped. Everything got dark. The only thing I could hear was my breath and the blood pumping in my head. We stopped, dug into the side of the mountain, and performed SLLS, which stands for Stop, Look, Listen, Smell, for about ten minutes. Nothing. Not even bugs. The air and land were silent. Baffled, frightened, and overcome with fatigue, the men quickly resumed their trudge through the wilderness back to their camp, very aware that something very possibly malignant and beyond their experience was out there in the dark somewhere. As they scrambled over loose rock and through scrub and brush, the witness claims that he suddenly noticed on a parallel hillside the very clear sight of a man dressed in light-colored robes, which seemed to be slowly making his way towards their position. Bizarrely, it seemed that the stranger was just passing through any obstacles he came across as he moved slowly but inexorably closer. The witness would describe the rest of the surreal encounter thus, quote, He seemed to melt over and around the rocks. It was unnatural the way he was moving. Through the nods, his eyes glowed. I scoped up on him and saw that he was looking at directly at me. It was pitch black. There was no way he could have seen us from that distance without any kind of night optics. Suddenly he stops. He picked up one of his limbs and held it in the air, almost like he was waving at me. Then the arm melted back into his form like it wasn't an arm at all, but some kind of extendable proboscis that was meant to look like an arm from a distance. I was about to ask the other guys if they could see him, when suddenly he disappeared. And basically, that's sort of where the story ends. And there is more to the article. I'll, I'll include it in the show notes so you folks can read it. But I have never heard anything like that, Paul. Have you? No. There are some extremely odd stories from uh, service personnel who served in Afghanistan. Deeply unnerving stories as well. They're, they're unlike any kind of haunting or, or ghost encounters that we are used to. Because that, that, that was eerie. Yeah, but that, but that was ghost story eerie until mm. the arm. Mm. And then, then that changed into that was something else entirely. That actually, that bothered me. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen a few accounts of people who see strange figures flitting about places and when they stare at them through night vision goggles or whatever, whatever they're looking at is looking straight at them. And as that witness said there, there was no way they'd know where they were. And yet they locked eyes. 
there's something deeply humbling about requiring all this equipment to be able to see something in such a way that it can just naturally see us. Mm. You know, if you ever get really hung up on the idea of man as the top of the food chain, go out into the Afghanistan desert, it sounds like. Yes. <laughs> Very true. So thank you so much for sharing your story, Victoria, and, and thank you for inspiring us to, to find those stories. It, it sounds like there is so much over there, and I would love to know uh, any more stories you have from the region. As an aside, there's a great little horror film set in Afghanistan, uh, I believe from 2008, called The Objective. And it's about a group of soldiers lost in the desert who are hunted by something they cannot see. It's very low budget, but it's pretty great, as I, rec as I recall at least. It's been a while. So thank you, Victoria. Frog Road from Terry. You are like ghost therapists to me, since I only have a handful of people I can tell this stuff to. Keep up the fabulous work. This episode reminded me of a story I have about a late night car ride. The Frogs. It was about midnight and my friend and I decided to hop in my car and drive about 130 miles north of Milwaukee to the city of Stevens Point, Wisconsin for a morning seminar we wanted to attend. It was the 1980s and I was driving a 1970s Honda Civic which is about the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, much smaller than they make them today. This drive is normally about two hours max, but we didn't make it there until the next morning. The night was abnormally dark, and there was no one on the freeway but us, which is odd since this was a busy truck route. About an hour into the drive, I heard a loud thunk on the window on the driver's side near my head. I turned to see a huge frog smash into the window. Okay, that was weird, I thought. Then suddenly we heard the sound of things smashing into the car on all sides. The car headlights revealed hundreds of frogs leaping from the side of the road at once and hitting the car. We screamed and started swerving, but luckily no one else was on the road. This continued for hours. Every 20 minutes or so, Many frogs would just come out of the dark and hit the car. We didn't light up a joint until this was well underway, so I know we weren't imagining it. The strangest thing was we kept seeing road signs that said Stevens Point, 11 miles away. We saw the same sign over and over again, and yet we never seemed any closer to getting there. Finally, as dawn broke, we pulled into our hotel parking lot. We were afraid to get out of the car to see the carnage of the frog parts sticking to it. But there was nothing. Not a hint of anything amiss. We were exhausted and managed to get a few hours of sleep before heading over to the seminar. Well, that all seems perfectly normal, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, what the hell? Just some frogs. <laughs> I will say, though, I'm trying to find this here and, and i think there might actually be a, a frog a massive frog migration in wisconsin from fox milwaukee and it says road i'm just gonna read you the text here the headline is shutting down a road for frogs the unique effort in waterford and it's dated april 30th 2014. village of waterford road closed for frogs it sounds a little strange but it's a unique plan to help with a massive frog migration in the village of waterford Every year, thousands of frogs make their way to the river, and for years, it has meant crossing a very busy road. It's a small town, but there's a lot of traffic on North Jefferson Street, Terry Albee of Waterford said. The traffic on North Jefferson Street will soon come to a halt, for just one night. 
It's all in an effort to help the frogs. When the moment is right, thousands of frogs will make a great journey from a small pond to a river. We're just going to shut the road off and enjoy the frogs, Albie said, which makes it sound like a sex thing. They crawl, that's not in the article obviously, that's just me editorializing. They crawl or hop right over the road. They're from like little gravel peewee sized to large bullfrogs, Tom Cerny of Waterford said. Every year cars on North Jefferson Road halt hundreds of these frogs on their long trek. People are going by and there's frogs, hundreds of them at a time, jumping across the road. I have estimates of well over a thousand through a night and they're getting killed. So it, it does sound like there, this may actually have been a real thing you experienced, Terry. It, it may have been a real phenomenon. This might not have been some kind of terrifying paranormal encounter. This, this is, may just be one of the world's, one of the natural world's terrifying encounters. You would think that, but then why did it take them all night to drive somewhere that normally took three hours? That, that is true. So they may uh, have, it's like they're stuck in some kind of loop. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I got, you know, to be honest, I got so hung up on the hundreds of frogs, I forgot about the time loop aspect of it. Hmm. Well, animal migrations are, are very odd. It's like the, the incredible red crab migration on Christmas Island, which is a sight to behold. I, to behold from a distance. I have seen video of that. that. No, thank you. There's only millions of them doing it. Yeah. It's, it's basically spiders of the ocean. <laughs> Sorry, Kavnis. There's spiders again. <laughs> no, so, yeah, that's thank just you. really strange because weird encounters with frogs are usually more akin with strange rains where animals and fish and frogs have been known to fall from the sky for no reason. Um, of course. Which is always explained away with one again, one of those one size fits all skeptical explanations that they've been dropped there by a water spout that seems to have the miraculous power of only able to pick up one species of creature and no yeah. other plant life and just deposit it somewhere, which is palpable nonsense. <laughs> yeah, no, I never thought that made much sense. It's one of those very pat explanations that make people go, oh yeah, no, of course, that makes sense. And, mm. and they never stop to think of it. No, that actually makes zero goddamn sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some very strange ones. There's a brilliant episode of Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World, which talks about strange rains. Really? Mm. Um, one of the best parts of it is somebody whose house was bombarded by apples. Ouch. Uh, and there were so many of them, they just had to dig them into the garden. They couldn't get rid of them all. Really? Mm. And is, do, you, do you recall where that was? Um, Manchester, I think. It was here in the UK. A rain of apples. That is goddamn bizarre. Yeah. There's a brilliant one with a guy who was taking his wife out on their first date and uh, they were caught in a massive shower of fish. Um, so much so that she got really upset because they couldn't, they couldn't save them all and they were literally just flapping about everywhere. They tried putting oh, them geez. in. For some reason, he had a box, I think. <laughs> he was trying to put them all in a box and there was just hundreds of them everywhere. I bet that stunk to high heaven. Mm. Well, the birds would have had a field day, wouldn't they? That's true. Yeah. I'm sure the birds still, still, still tell that story. <laughs> Nature's vacuum. Jesus is like, man, I used to be good at this loaves and fishes thing. I am out of practice. <laughs> yeah. Some of my favorite 14 events are, are mysterious rains. No kidding. I, I, I'd heard of things like frogs, you know, in certain places, but I didn't realize apples or fish. Mm, yeah, yeah. There was one caught on camera the other week in uh, other week, other month in Texas. Really? Yeah, uh, a garage CCTV caught footage of fish falling into the forecourt. What in God's name? 
That well-known well, coastal area, Texas. <laughs> I, know, I know some of Texas has a coast, obviously, but uh, you know it is still one of the largest states in the US. So you know, not a lot of it is coastal. And even so, I mean, I don't read the daily news in Galveston, but I, I feel like I would have heard <laughs> if it regularly just rained fish there. I feel like this might have come up at some point. Galveston, very famous for one of the worst weather predictions of all time. Do tell. Uh, the local weatherman there. This is about 1906, I think it was, because Galveston was like the, the, the main hub of all business in Texas till this happened. And okay. uh, the, the, the person in charge of, of uh, reading the weather there dismissed any possibility that a large hurricane was on its way and the entire town was swamped. Oh, man. It destroyed his career and it ruined, it ruined the town. Essentially, it took it from being, I think it was essentially a bigger place than Dallas at that point. So it, was, it, it considered itself to be the real capital of Texas, and it was going to be a, a powerhouse of, of the 20th century in America. And this hurricane just smashed it to pieces. Hundreds Holy died. Holy shit. I had no idea. Yeah. I'm trying to think if his family, I mean, the whole town got flooded and homes were destroyed and businesses ruined. And Galveston is also... Uh, very close to a site of a famously unsolved true crime case, mm. the, um, the Calder Killing Fields. Mm. There would, uh, there's a little, I don't know if it's little, but there's a town between Houston and Galveston called League City. Mm. And there's a stretch of road where in the distance you can see the refineries, but I believe it's called Calder Road. And if I remember correctly, uh, four women, the bodies of four women were found there in, uh, when was this? Beginning in 1983. Started with a, a bartender named Heidi Fye. She went missing in League City, and she was she turned up in that field. And then a year later, it was a 16 year old girl. And while they were looking for her, they found a third body. Mm. And um, then in 1991, a passerby found a fourth body. And based on what I've read from the FBI, they are still those women are. I think the last two women may still be unidentified, mm. and they have never been able to determine who was it, uh, who, who the, you know, whether this was one attacker or multiple, but it's, it's just one of those longstanding American mysteries. Well, nothing surprises me. Have you seen that story from New Zealand about that family that bought a lot at auction from a, oh, what they call it, from a storage unit, bought a load of suitcases and they've got them home and there was loads, uh, they found loads of body parts inside the cases. Oh my God. No, I missed this. Um, and they've discovered they're actually children. Jesus Christ, when did this happen? Last week. Oh my God, no, I had missed this completely. Yeah. If you put New Zealand body in suitcase, it should pop up. What the hell? This is a cheery show, folks. Let's go. <laughs> New Zealand body suitcase live on air. All right. Human <laughs> remains. Okay, I should stop being so glib. This is quite disturbing. Wow. They blind bought a lot, you know, you know, like they do with storage walls and other such programs. Sure, yeah, yeah. So they just bought this lot of suitcases and they were like, oh, we've got a real deal here. Got them all home. And then they just discovered all these hor horrific situation that they found themselves in. Two children, and they believe those have been there for years. Five and 10 years old. That is horrifying. Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Between this and those kids who were playing around with, um, what was oh. that random? Randonautica. Yeah. Was that Seattle? It was Seattle. Yeah. Just across the water from here. And they found a body in a suitcase. 
I'm just not touching random suitcases anymore. Mm. Holy Christ. Well, we, we went down some roads on that one. <laughs> Thank you, Terry. Dreamwalking from Alexandra. Hello, Brent and Paul. I just wanted to say I'm a longtime listener of your podcast and relate to a great many topics you have touched on. I also wanted to mention how grateful I am that Paul came on to co-host with you, Bren, because I know the hurt of being left by who you perceived as someone close is a heavy burden, and with Paul's energetic, happy spirit, it seems to have smoothed out the blow, and I'm very proud of you for navigating through that. Well, thank you very much, Alexandra. Yes. You've clearly not spoken to me on a Saturday morning. <laughs> I mean, in fairness, I haven't had to speak to you on a Saturday morning either. Yes. I don't like talking to myself on a Saturday morning. I'm a very, I'm a very grumpy morning person. You and me both, man. I do not do mornings. That's why we have these calls at, at noon. <laughs> Absolutely. And sometimes even then I'm barely ready. <laughs> I don't have a story as much as I have a question. My mom is a lover of horror. As a result, I grew up terrified of scary movies and monstrous beasts and ghosts especially. I had many night terrors throughout my young life, but along with a lot of childhood traumas, these experiences were buried deep. In recent years, many, many odd things have happened, all occurring around dreams. Well, lucky for us, because I love dreams, Alexandra. Some are just plain daydreams that have all become real. Like, not everything in the dream, but the places, people, conversations, happenings, they come true. I just don't get to choose which ones and when they'll be, but I've come to realize these instances now. I have, in fact, hijacked boyfriend's dreams before, too. Twice I've felt I've slipped into another place in the middle of my own dreams. My boyfriends were always there, and I'd always be able to communicate with them and sort of guide the dream, all along knowing within the dream what I was doing, but my consciousness did not catch up. I'd wake up and ask them about their dreams, and once I recognized what they were talking about, I'd interject and say, then I came in, right? Freaking them and myself out. This hasn't happened in a few years, but I always felt it was because our connections were strong then. Since listening to your show, I've been more in tune with these occurrences and have, had, and have experienced two really odd things. One is a horrifying dream in which I had a bad dream, woke up, and felt like something was in my room. Now, I've been hearing strange knocking at or around my bedroom door both day and night for a number of weeks, ever since I've been back in the States and hadn't thought much about it, but this felt wrong. I remember staring into the darkness, awake, waiting. Then a deep black face rushed out of the darkness and up to me on the bed, grabbing my right wrist nearest the edge and screaming into my face. I tried to scream as well, but it's like my vocal cords were tied. All that came out was a squeak, and it was gone. I sat there just hyperventilating for what seemed like forever, and somehow I fell back asleep. In the morning, I could not decipher if I was truly awake or not, but my wrist had phantom pain that entire day. Next was at my mom's house about four to five days later. My husband and I woke up around 10 a.m., and he left the bedroom to go shower. I was tired and stayed in bed for what I thought could just be a drawn-out wake-up when I felt impressions on the bed, kind of a kneading like a cat but bigger, and by my hands and feet. I could feel the blanket move for five to six minutes. I didn't feel threatened. I didn't feel scared. I just played it cool and stayed still. I'm not going to lie, I thought it could be my cat or two dogs that have just passed not so long ago. There's been lots of loss over COVID. I can't explain these occurrences, but I know I was awake for them. I know it. They're real. Since I've become more open to these kinds of realities, have I welcomed any and all things? Or have I actually just gone mad? Well, Alexandra, I want to say, I don't think you've gone mad. Not at all. I think sometimes, definitely, you know, when I first got started getting into the paranormal, and I'm actually curious to know if this is with your experience as well, Paul, but when I first started getting into all the stuff, when I wrote Strange, I started having 
what crazy experiences right away. I've told them many times on the show my my various experiences. But over time, that's sort of metered, it's kind of uh, moderated a little bit. And I wonder if we sort of build up a bit, maybe a natural resistance once we kind of, you know, we kind of go all in and we're very open. And then over time, we sort of develop a bit of a, a bit of a barrier to keep us safe. Has that been your experience since you kind of opened back up? I mean, no, you're, you're dreaming again. <laughs> yes. Yes. I had a terrifying dream the other day that I caused a flood. Oh God. Uh, and I caused a, a, a reservoir to collapse and flood a town. Oh, wow. <laughs> Don't suppose you got a location on that just in case, eh? It was just really odd. It was very strange. One minute I was next to a reservoir, and then the next minute I caused it, to, it collapsed. I can't remember if I'd, I was playing about with something, and then this whole the whole side of the reservoir just collapsed, and it just flooded. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. <laughs> And then the next thing, I was in a boat, seeing all these houses underwater. Holy shit. Um, so yeah, I'm really enjoying dreaming. <laughs> Very soothing. Yeah, no kidding. Yes, I find it really relaxing. You got to take the bad, the, it can't all be uh, Bigfoot hunting with Fruzabalk. <laughs> That's still one of the weirdest dreams I've ever had in my life. It's one of the weirdest dreams I've ever heard of. <laughs> Yeah, no wonder she didn't write back. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, it's, it, it's a strange thing. I mean, it, from from leaving the house I grew up in it till I was about seven or eight to to sort of the modern thing, I, I didn't really have much to it. So I'm not too sure. I mean, I'm I'm convinced that us diving into the history of the area last summer when we were discovering that the house next door had been blown to smithereens during the war. Right. Because that's when everything started happening here with the smoke smells and... Of course. Disappearing cutlery and stuff, because we hadn't had anything before then. And then, I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. Like I said, the, the light thing that happened last week was probably the first thing that's happened, other than the smoky smells occasionally still pop. I mean, we still get those occasionally where they'll just pop up around the house. Right. Um, so it's just, I don't know, really. I think maybe sometimes when you're into this, you tend to brush things off or you go, oh, well, that's, yeah. you go, oh, that's weird. Whereas we kind of just go, meh. <laughs> that's true. I mean, it may just be that, you know, it, it takes so much more for us to, for us to, for us to take notice of something. Mm. You know, because we've had things happen and we kind of get so used to it. I, I will yeah. say, Alexander, that, you know, you talk about sort of having an intense connection with your boyfriends and certainly I, I've told this story on the show before, but you know, I, I have a very, very close friend, really my best friend who we once shared a dream shortly after, like when we really kind of made each other's acquaintance, I dreamed that I was in a bus station somewhere. I was buying a bus ticket to Chicago and I remember I was sitting at a desk standing at a desk looking at a map and I was trying to figure out where I was going. And then I looked over and I saw my friend standing in line for another bus and she didn't see me, but she was waiting for a bus. And by the time I was, I, I had to deal with my ticket. And by the time I had done with my ticket, she was on board her bus and gone. But when we spoke the next day, I hadn't even mentioned my dream when she said to me, I had the weirdest dream about uh, waiting in line for a bus and getting on a bus last night. 
And I, you know, she had this with, with my wife as well, because we're all kind of, we're all friends. And they both had a dream of being in a car, a, a red convertible driving together somewhere. And they both dreamed about it on the same night. How strange. Yeah. And so I do think it's possible. I don't know how, but I do think it's possible if you have a connection with someone that these things can happen. I, you know, again, I, I have, I'll never pretend to, that I know how it happens, but I actually had a weird dream when I was in LA. And I would never ask this person because I don't know them very well. I would never ask them. But there was uh, someone I interviewed for my podcast, the, the interview show, Largely the Truth. And in the dream, I'm at a house party and this person is, uh, then the party's kind of spilling out to the lawn. Everyone's having a good time. It's nighttime in the suburb. And across the street, this person is sitting on the curb with two other people. And one of the other people waves to me and I wave to them because I also know one of the people they're with. And this person in question kind of looks at me funny and we end up, they, they sort of say, Hey, you know, can I speak to you privately? And I said, yeah, sure. Let's go. So we, we go in the back of the house and I'll distinct, I distinctly remember it's like a porch with a chest freezer, the kind of where people hang their coats and, you know, there's sort of a utility shelf. And this person says to me, Brennan, how can you be here? How is it? We're both here. And I said, I don't know. I've got some ideas. I got some theories, but I can't tell you for sure. And so we were going to leave and have a conversation about it. We walked out of the house and again, it was nighttime. There was fir trees everywhere. And I remember a fence and then I woke up, but a part of me has always wondered, you know, or not always, cause this only happened when I was in LA, but part of me wondered if that person had a dream. Cause we don't know each other very well. We've only ever spoken during that interview. Um, but part of me wondered if this person had a dream and thought, why the fuck did I dream about that weird guy who had me on a show once? <laughs> but again, I, I will never ask because that would be incredibly weird. And the odds are, no, it's probably just, you know, a head movie. But, um, yeah, I did wonder. There's a very weird story on, on one of Art Bell's ghost ghosts, which is about a, a dream. Okay. And somebody rang up and said, oh, I've got to tell you this story about my mum," And the caller said that their mum had had this dream that their workmate's husband appeared in their house dressed as a magician and was going to kill them and was oh chasing them around the house. And they woke up and they sent their husband around the house to check. And then they fell asleep again and the dream started again. And the magician killer said, ah, I hid behind the furnace. That's why your husband couldn't find me and started to chase her around the house again. And this carried on through the night that she keep waking up, getting her husband to check the house until the morning. And then she went into work and she was talking to a coworker and her coworker looked exhausted. And she said, oh, what, what's the matter with you? And she said, oh, we've had a terrible night. My husband kept having a dream. He was, an, he was a magician and he was in your house trying to kill you. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I think they were from Canada as well. Paul, you, you promised not to tell anyone. <laughs> Yeah, the more I think about it, I think it might. I think it might be Victoria, actually. You gotta be kidding me! Yeah, Is it, was there a, a business there where they used to make bulletproof vests in Victoria? If there was, I'm not aware of it. Mm -mm. I'll have to remember which which episode it was on. But yeah, it's always stuck out struck out to me that one because most of the time people don't ring up about dream, weird dream stories. They were always like ghosts or other weird incidents but that's that one's always stood out because it was a dream and it was a very odd dream and then you'd obviously got the the fact that two, the two people in the dream were both dreaming about the same thing, despite the fact that they didn't have any real connection. Yeah, that's bizarre. Killer magicians.
All right, one last ad break and then we'll be back with our final story. Remember, patrons of Ghost Story Guys don't have to listen to the ads. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. All right, so we have one final story for tonight, and that is a ghost line story from Amy. We've titled that story, Like a Pep Rally in Hell. Hello to both of you gentlemen. My name is Amy, originally from Ohio, and I wanted to call in about a memory on New Year's Eve, 1999 into 2000. I went to my church up in Hollywood to meditate. Uh, We meditate and we have a tradition of meditating into the new year every year. So I went to Hollywood um, with my, at my time, boyfriend, he's done my husband and my mother-in-law, future mother-in-law. We went up to meditate with a small group of people up on Sunset Boulevard. And as we went into the church and sat down to meditate, we began to hear very loud microphone and music begin to happen. Next door, the church is like, but as we were sitting down to meditate, there was a group of about 200 of us getting ready to do meditation. We start to hear, it sounds like they're tuning up, there's stuff coming over a loudspeaker. And then sure enough, there's some kind of a cover band playing 1960s kind of surf music. And people seem to be having a good time. There's a big crowd over there based on hearing the commotion and everything. So we're getting into meditation, going beyond that, using all of our, all of our techniques that help us with focus to get past that noise, kind of get through it and over it and into meditation through deep breathing and energy work. About half an hour into our meditation, and it's about uh, somewhere around a quarter till midnight, the music abruptly stops. Someone comes out, an announcer, an MC, starts to talk on the microphone, introducing someone. And it's hard to discern the name. But the next thing that happened snapped most of the room out of focus and out of meditation. The next thing that happened was it wasn't just about the noise level. It was the vibration that jarred us all. The next thing that happens is this booming voice begins to talk in what I can only describe if a demon was talking or you're going to a pep rally in hell. That's the best way to describe it. At first, I wondered if it was just me. I looked around and started to see the incredibly bewildered looks on the faces of other people in the same room attempting to meditate. The man leading us in meditation, he was an older monk with about 60 years experience in meditation. He suddenly opened his eyes, looked at all of us, and just belted out, go deeper. He was trying to help us get in and past that vibration, which was nauseating. The energy in the vicinity of the temple we were in, everything shifted. It felt like it was, it felt like energy emanating from the site building was just blasting us and blasting everything physically around it. The thing that came to mind when this was going on, because the energy felt so god-awful, I almost felt like 
how it must have felt in medieval times when people were hiding in caves and that there was some kind of mythological creature outside. This sounds kind of, it's kind of a weird description, but I just got this visual of just people hiding from some kind of massive monster. What was more horrifying than just that alone was the fact that the people in the audience responded as if they understood what this person or thing was saying to them in this dark language. That was terrifying. There were thousands of people at this rally, and you could hear them yell in unison, like, that kind of stuff. So people have misgivings and, and different ideas about what the Church of she is about. I'll use my experience that evening. There's no doubt in my mind there are dark practices going on related to And when we were leaving that night, after that meditation, people just looked haunted, going out to their cars. You know, usually after the night's meditation, people are smiling, kind of gliding to their cars. <laughs> We were kind of like, everybody was just kind of like quickly moving to their cars, just kind of like, let's get out of here immediately. Ah, crazy. So many more stories. Thank you for having this ghost line. So, thank you, Amy, first thing. Um, I don't envy you that because the, her description, I think, was perfect. The description of, of hiding inside as something indescribable tries to get in, that just, that it felt very elemental. And uh, obviously we, we beeped the name of the church because this particular quote unquote church is very litigious. And um, <laughs> so we're not playing that game because we are, you know, we are a very small show, but uh, they are not above suing someone of our stature. So we just decided to, or I decided to bleep the shit out of that. Mm. I, I know I, we ha they had a branch here in Victoria. And I was always very, it, it's a small building tucked away in kind of an industrial part of town. I was always mm. very uncomfortable around it. Mm. So I, Amy, thank you so much for sharing that. And, and again, it's, it's, I don't know quite what to make of it. I just know that, that organization has always made me uncomfortable. Uh, someone in my family, when they were younger, uh, and there's someone older than I am, but they actually were interested because of the movie star connection, which honestly, you know, this organization is famous for, you guys, you're going to know who the fuck I'm talking about. Uh, they're famous for recruiting from, I want to say, the previous generation of celebrities. I don't think it's as much of a thing with younger people now, but I know they have some, you know, some mega stars from sort of my, you know, people who I would be watching, you know, starring in films. And so I think that brought a lot of people in. It gave a lot of people kind of interest in them. And uh, my uncle was one of them. And so he, he wrote them for some information and... You know, it's famously cult-like. They there's a lot of expense involved, and he kind of you know bless him. He figured that out pretty quick, and he thought, no, screw this, I'm not doing this. But um, they never stopped mailing him for years. He was on this list, and they just kept coming. <laughs> and it just makes you wonder because obviously in Los Angeles is kind of the heart of the empire. So I wouldn't be surprised if if the celebration that Amy was adjacent to was higher up. You know, was some of the, the top people in that organization who are top people, you know, they are very, very wealthy, very powerful people, some of whom we all know. And it does make me wonder, have you ever heard stories about, about these guys, Paul, aside from just being like generally lunatics and uh, abusive? <laughs> Remember, we didn't no. say the name. You can't sue us. No. 
No. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I know enough about them to just scratch my head because, you know, I know what they're supposed to be and how they were formed and what their originator dabbled in previously because, you know, born from the UFO contact movement. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, once once you join, you get to the top, you can never die. So that's handy. <laughs> yeah, still, still not really appealing to me. So I skirt around them as, as much as I can. No, I do not blame you. Well, Amy, thank you again for your story. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. If you want to leave a message on the ghost line, that's one 588 6920 That's one 588 6920 Leave your comment, question, or story as one or a series of voicemails. And we'll mention this again in the C segment, but I want to say that here because not everyone listens all the way to the end. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our Ghost Force shoutouts. Hey there, listeners. Before you reach for that skip 15 seconds ahead button, I promise you this isn't an ad. We wanted to take a minute to talk to you about mental health. On this show, I've always tried to be as honest and open as possible about my struggles with depression and anxiety, because even though we've come a long way towards acknowledging the very real damage these things can do, there is still way too much lingering stigma about reaching out for help. And when you start to feel like there's no help, it's easy to start feeling like there's no hope. But Paul has joined me today to remind you there is always hope and there's always help. We're not going to try and talk you out of self-harming right now because we know that's not how it works. Instead, what we wanted to do was tell you something now and hope that should things get bad, you'll remember it and make a phone call or send a text message before you make any permanent decisions. As someone who knows all too well just how important mental health can be. It's never too late to reach out. In Canada, the number to call is 133-456-4566. In the USA, the new number to call is 988. That's 988. In the UK, the number to call is 116-123 or text SHOUT. That's S-H-O-U-T to 85258. In Australia, the number to call is 131114. However bad shit seems, it will pass. And no matter what your brain might be telling you at any given moment, and believe me when I say I know this intimately, there are people who love you and people who care deeply about how you treat yourself. Should a time come when you find yourself despairing, Please know that we've both been where you are, and there is a way back to the world. Take care. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to Luke, Anthony, Sarah, and Joseph, everyone else who's part of the Ghost Story Guys family. Don't forget to check out Luke's podcast, Luke Lore, now part of the Connected Podcast Network. You can find that at lukelore.com and everywhere fine podcasts live. Joseph and I also co-host the show Weird Together, and that's a monthly live stream where we talk about a different horror movie. By the time this comes out, uh, we should be talking about the brand new horror anthology, Allegoria. So you can check that out on YouTube. I'll put a link in the show notes. And that is on the Weird Together YouTube channel. Also, I want to say um, it's, it's out now, so I, I can talk about this. 
Anthony is in a Bollywood film. <laughs> he randomly was cast because they were shooting this film, and I'm just going to look up the name. They were shooting this film in northern BC in Barkerville, where he works as a bartender, and he ended up being cast as a featured extra. So he is he is actually, you know, I think at one point, I haven't seen the film yet, it just kind of came out here, but um, he plays a vicious racist, which is very funny because Anthony is the sweetest guy. <laughs> That is, that is not him at all. The film is called, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Chalamud Kinahi Aya. And the film, it, it came out on July 29th. So it, I just missed it in the theater here. It kind of came and went while I was in Los Angeles. But uh, if you can, I'll put a link in the show notes to its uh, letterboxed page. And Anthony does have, uh, again, a, a brief role as a featured extra. And he is a much nicer man than the film portrays him as being. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're so proud of Anthony. You know, that guy has done so much cool shit this last little while. There is more cool shit to come for him. Uh, so that is just, again, congratulations, my friend. You deserve it. And uh, I told you so. So there. And thanks to you, of course, my friend and co-host, the paranormal Johnny Carson, host of Mysteries and Monsters, Mr. Paul Bestel. Paul, what's coming up on Eminem? Well, this week... We are diving into a subject I've never touched before, which is near-death experiences with Very Canadian cool. paranormal researcher Jason Hewlett. Brilliant. And it can't go wrong with Canadians, I'm telling you. Yep, yep. So we have a good, a good discussion about grief, trauma, and the whole experience, both belief and skeptical explanations for what these people believe has happened to them. So it's, uh, it's quite a thought-provoking conversation. I can't wait to hear that. And where can everyone find you online? You can find Mysteries and Monsters on all podcast platforms, and we're also across all social media as well. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as Largely the Truth. You can also find the live stream I spoke about, Weird Together. That's, uh, I'll, put, I'll put a link in the show notes. That's available on YouTube, and that's a video live stream of me and Joseph Camo talking about horror movies. And I am very close to completing the manuscript for Volume 2 of A Strange Little Place. So that will be an expanded second edition. So it's going to be the stories from the original book with a little bit of streamlining. I've taken some stuff out. I've added some new developments in, some new stories, and there'll be a handful of new chapters as well. And uh, yeah, we'll be handing that in at the end of the month. I'm very excited to see that back out in the world and to stop writing it, Paul, because I'm, boy, am I sick of writing that book. Yeah. I've heard you've got a brilliant foreword as well. I do. Yeah. There's this, this uh, very clever English guy. Who is uh, who's going to be writing the forward? So I'm looking forward to seeing that. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> it's like Paul. I picked the I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing glue. <laughs> you sniff all the glue you want, my friend. It can't be any worse than anything I've written. <laughs> also, I my interview show is on hiatus. But if you want to hear me talking about horror movies, books, art, all kinds of stuff, look for largely the truth with Brennan Store wherever you get your podcasts. As we said at the top of the show, if you want to support us, we would very, very much appreciate it. Head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have tiers at one, five, 10, 20, and $50. All kinds of stuff from digital rewards like bonus shows. You get two bonus shows per week. There's also physical rewards, stickers, all kinds of cool stuff. And uh, yeah, you help make the show go. So again, head to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys for more information. But if you support at the $20 level and up, you're part of a very, very elite club. Not like Epstein elite, not like that. A good elite. I don't know if there is a good elite. Boy, I wish I hadn't made that comparison. 
Tottenham Hotspurs. They're an elite club. There we go. Like to, you are the Tottenham Hotspurs of podcast <laughs> fans. You are <laughs> Ghost Force. <laughs> Whoa. That's right. Patrons at the $20 level and above are members of Ghost Force and get thanked every second episode in this segment. Well, like, generally, that's how that happens. It, it hasn't because I've been on vacation. But now, going forward, every second episode in this segment, in these voices, because we gave up smoking, but we missed the pain. Yes, pain. This time around, the members of Ghost Force are... Atham Saragon, April Bowers, Gary Lambertus, Cheryl Baker, Generic Bob, Hannah Brown, Hunter Siemens, Hilary Disassur, Jay Moores, Jason R. Slaughter, 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 Jeanette Peter Patter, Peter Patter, Patterson, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Jennifer Mullen. Jennifer Sharko, Joseph Camo, Kimberly Hansen, Lumpy Rug, Maddie Leatherman, Mara Noriega, Mark Zemler, Mary Rose WW, Peter Gunn 08.5, Rebecca Brink, Rondra Sheen, Richard Easby, Robin Tien, and Ryan Hoskin. You are the few. You are the proud. You are spooky. You are Ghost Force. For real, guys. Thank you so, so, so much. (laughs) (laughs) We love Ghost Force. We love doing that segment. And we appreciate your support more than we can ever say. You guys are crazy. We love the absolute hell out of you. If you want to join Ghost Force and and be thanked in that bizarre segment, head to (laughs) patreon.com slash ghost story, guys. And if you want to get in touch... Email's the best way to do it, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook as Ghost Story Guys. We're also we're on Instagram as The Ghost Story Guys. And uh, we're on Twitter as Ghost Story Guys, but we don't use it very much, but we are there. So, you know, hey, maybe one day. If you do have a story to tell, email's the best way to do it. Or you can always call The Ghost Line. There's something Thanks to Amber Pease for that ghost line jingle. That's one 588 6920 That's 1-888-588-6920. Call, leave your story, comment, or question as one or series of voicemails. Again, we're still capped at three minutes, which is a pain in the ass, but just call right back. It's all good. You're not bothering anyone. It's a phone tree, and we love getting ghost line calls. It's just such a cool, a cool way to bring new energy to the show. So if you got a story to share, you're not crazy about typing, or you think that Maybe, you know, your typing storytelling skills, whatever. Feel free to call. We love hearing from you. Again, that's one 588 6920 And Paul, you have an interview coming up. Yes, I was delighted to be asked to be a guest on the Canadian podcast, Supernatural Circumstances, with the wonderful Morgan Knudsen and her co-host, Mike Brown. Fantastic. And you were saying that'll be out towards the end of the month, you think, yeah? Yep, absolutely. Dealing with one of my favorite poltergeist cases, the Enfield poltergeist. Wonderful. 
So keep an eye on the Ghost Story Guys website. I'll post a link in our blog when that finally comes up, and we'll mention it here on the show too. Uh, Luke was interviewed by the Spooks, Creeps, and Assorted Devilry podcast. I'm not certain when that comes out, but again, we'll put it up on the ghoststoryguys.com site, and we'll also mention it in our social media. So keep an eye out for that. Those guys are very, very cool. A lot of fun. And actually, speaking of cool folks who are sort of in our sphere, um, I got a shout out on uh, Kev from We Need to Talk About Ghosts, the Dark Paranormal, on his, one of his patron shows, because he was driving when he was listening to episode 142, Ghost in the Machine, and it sounds like my joke about 8 Mile nearly put his car in the ditch. So while <laughs> Kev, I was not trying to kill you, I, I'm happy that the joke landed. Our bumper music is composed and performed by Rainy Days for Ghosts. Rainy Days for Ghosts is a project of film journalist and composer Jerry Smith. Jerry's based out of Southern California, and if you'd like to hire him to produce music for you, shoot him an email at rainydaysforghosts at gmail.com. Our main theme, Radio, Into the Darkness We Go, is composed and performed by Peter Kursov of Pizanta Music. Find more from him by searching for Pizanta Music wherever you get your tunes. And our stories theme is A Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. Find more from them by searching for Hexagram wherever you get your music. I guess that's going to do it. Well, we'll be back in two weeks. But until then, into the darkness we go. I'm I'm done I'm done with saying oh this is gonna be a short episode because I know better now. <laughs> Mosquitoes has been the challenge here. Holy shit! I'm covered in bites. <laughs> Who the fuck is he? Okay, well his first post on Facebook is boobs, so I don't think we're gonna be buddies. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. I'm poised like a cold, co- cold, coiled <laughs> spring even. <laughs> I'll make sure I've linked the right fucking thing here yes I have. <laughs> bless you excuse me it was just the spirits passing through me they they, they really wrecked you on the way through that was rough <laughs> i just i just free base Woo. i love it no, I, I freestyle you freestyle we don't want to free base oh yeah sorry wrong, wrong, uh, wrong <laughs> i mean hobby. we can free base i just don't think it's be good for either of us yeah wrong hobby sorry <laughs>